Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Now let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 and begin at verse 17. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Actually, let's, let's pray. Father, we pray that as we look into your word, that you would illumine our minds and our hearts by your spirit. Give us understanding, and, and Father, I pray that we would, we would go away from your word being those who seek to do it, and not merely those who hear it and delude themselves. Father, I pray that your word would work in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to take you, take a good look at those first words of this verse that we just read. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. In fact, we're not even going to get that far in the verse today. We're going to deal with the first few words. But first of all, notice that it speaks of the Father, right? The Father. Second, notice that it describes Christians as those who address as Father, address God as Father, okay? And address as Father the God who judges Now, I've said it many times before, I'll say it again, I'll continue to say it until the culture changes, but fatherhood is despised today, okay? You get tired of me saying it, but it's true, and I'll continue to say it. Fatherhood is despised. In the July-August 2010 edition of The Atlantic, which is, The Atlantic is a very old magazine. It used to be called The Atlantic Monthly, and before that it was probably called something else. But it was one of the, for, for over a century, it's published intellectuals in America. And in the July-August 2010 edition of The Atlantic, a writer, Pamela Paul, just asked the question, are fathers necessary? So here's the article. I want to share the article with you. 
She writes, even the most recession-walloped and otherwise diminished man can take pride in his essential role as father. Fathers, Barack Obama intoned in a 2008 Father's Day speech, are critical to the foundation of each family. They are teachers and coaches, they are mentors and role models, they are examples of success and the men who constantly push us toward it. None of this would seem, she goes on, particularly controversial. Nor would the ominous statistics Obama reeled off about kids who grow up without dad, five times as likely to live in poverty and commit crime, nine times as likely to drop out of school, and 20 times as likely to wind up in prison. Obama was citing a commonly accepted and constantly updated body of research. The effectively fatherless Obama is clearly a freakish outlier. As for the rest of the fatherless, insufficiently breastfed, apt to develop attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, unable to form secure bonds, lacking self-esteem, accident-prone, asthmatic, and fat. Liberal feminist moms, eager for the participation of our emotionally evolved, enthusiastically diaper-bag-toting mates in the grueling round of dual-career child-rearing, are keen to back the data. Dads, we tell our husbands, are essential influences on children, the source of unique benefits. There's only one problem. None of this is proven. In the February issue of the Journal of Marriage and Family, Judith Stacy, a professor of sociology at New York University, and Timothy Biblars, a demographer from the University of Southern California, consolidated the available data on the role of gender in childbearing. As Stacy and Bill Biblars point out, sounds like a character from The Lord of the Rings. Um, Our ideas of what dads do and provide are based primarily on contrast between married couple parents and single female parents, an apples-to-oranges exercise that conflates gender, sexual orientation, marital status, and biogenetic relationships in ways that a true comparison of parent gender, one that compared married gay male couples or married lesbian couples to married heterosexual or single fathers to single mothers, would not. Most of the data failed to distinguish between a father and the income a father provides, or between the presence of a father and the presence of a second parent, regardless of gender. Drawing on reliable comparative studies, you could say this. Single moms tend to be more involved, set more rules, communicate better, and feel closer to their children than single dads. They have less difficulty monitoring their children's whereabouts, friendships, and school progress. Their children do better on standardized tests and have higher grades, and teenagers of single moms are actually less likely to engage in delinquent behavior or substance abuse than those of single dads. Go Murphy Brown. The quality of parenting, Biblars and Stacy say, is what really matters, not gender. The quality of parenting is what really matters, not gender. But the real challenge to our notion of the essential father might well be the lesbian mom. On average, lesbian parents spend more time with their children than fathers do. 
They rate disputes with their children as less frequent than do hetero couples and describe co-parenting more compatibly and with greater satisfaction. Their kids perceive their parents to be more available and dependable than do the children of heteros. They also discuss more emotional issues with their parents. They have fewer behavioral problems and show more interest in and try harder at school. According to Stacy and Biblars, two women who choose to become parents together seem to provide a double dose of the middle-class feminine approach to parenting. And they conclude, based strictly on the published science, one could argue that two women parent better on average, than a man and a woman, or at least than a woman and man with a traditional division of family labor. Ah, there's the rub. All howling to the contrary, most heterosexual men and women like that traditional division. Sticking to gender to parenting roles offers a seductive affirmation. Fathers, rough house all you want, but we gatekeeper moms are in charge of the rest. We could give you detailed instructions and you couldn't possibly do it as well. Even women who want their husbands to help more with the kids don't want to give up their traditional authorities, says Stephanie Kuntz, Director of Research at the Council on Contemporary Families. In addition to our pragmatic embrace of these roles, we still live in a culture with a deeply embedded notion of what a father is, beyond just another set of hands and men Women and children cling to it. The bad news for dad is that despite common perceptions, there's nothing objectively essential about his contribution. The good news is we've gotten used to him. So just this past week at the abortion clinic, when we were confronted by a gaggle of murder-loving priestess lesbians, we were told that our taint, our sin, was that we stood for patriarchy. Patriarchy, as you know, is just two words smashed together, right? Patria, father, and archi, which is rule. Patriarchy is just father rule. Okay, patriarchy is nothing other than father rule. And before you get mad at me for being a misogynist that does not love women, let me teach you this. To deny patriarchy is to deny God's fatherhood. Why? Because he is the father from whom every family or every fatherhood in heaven and on earth derives its name. Fatherhood in this world is a byproduct of God's archetypal, the original pattern, fatherhood. Right? Fatherhood all over is just a byproduct of a, uh, a heavenly original. So when the pagan priestesses who desire to to, um, be free to kill babies began announcing our patriarchal taint, I was quick to tell them that God is the Father. God is the Father. And they were not so happy with that because they have suppressed the truth of God in unrighteousness. 
Why would I do that? Why would I just, like a mantra, say God is the Father? Because I wanted them to know that their beef was not against fatherhood or men in general, but against the Father. God in heaven. They have announced to the world that they hate the Father. And the fruit of that hatred is that they are willing to advocate for the destruction of babies in the womb who, get this, bear God's image. They have the image of God, God's likeness imprinted on them, and so is it any wonder that those who hate the Father in heaven want nothing more than to stamp out His image wherever they find it. And so the fatherhood of God is foundational. I mean, it's absurd to even say that. The fatherhood of God is foundational to the Christian faith. That sounds like I'm a scholar making a statement. The fatherhood of God precedes history. Our creeds confess the scriptural truth of God's fatherhood and the covenantally corresponding necessity of of Christ's sonship. Right? The Apostles' Creed, which we confessed earlier, starts with, I believe in God the Father Almighty. And in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. The Nicene Creed, which we've confessed before, but not as frequently, starts this way. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father, before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. And then there's the little-known Athanasian Creed, which we do need to confess and worship, but it's long, and that's why we haven't done it. But here's, here's what the Athanasian Creed says. Now, this is the Catholic faith, and Catholic there means universal, worldwide. Don't get nervous. This is the Catholic faith, that we worship one God in Trinity, and the Trinity in unity, neither confounding their persons nor dividing the essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person. The person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit is still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. The glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit. The Father is uncreated. The Son is uncreated. The Holy Spirit is uncreated. The Father is immeasurable. The Son is immeasurable. The Holy Spirit is immeasurable. The Father is eternal. The Son is eternal. The Holy Spirit is eternal. And yet there are not three beings. There is but one eternal being. So too there are not three uncreated or immeasurable beings. But there is one uncreated and immeasurable being. Similarly, the Father is almighty, the Son is almighty, the Holy Spirit is almighty. Yet there are not three almighty beings, there is but one almighty being. Thus, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Yet there are not three gods, there is but one God. 
Thus the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord, yet there are not three lords, there is but one Lord. Just as Christian truth compels us to confess each person individually as both God and Lord, so Catholic religion forbids us to say that there are three gods or lords. The Father, now listen to this, the Father was neither made nor created nor begotten from anyone. The Son was neither made nor created. He was begotten from the Father alone. The Holy Spirit was neither made nor created nor begotten. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. Accordingly, there is one Father, not three fathers. There is one Son, not three sons. There is one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. None in this trinity is before or after. None is greater or smaller. In their entirety, the three persons are co-eternal and co-equal with each other. So in everything, as was said earlier, the unity in trinity and the trinity in unity is to be worshipped. Anyone then who desires to be saved should think thus about the trinity. Right? And so, I mean, there's, there is wonderful, glorious theology densely packed into that Athanasian creed. But, but my point simply is, is the church through the ages has addressed God as the Father. God as Father. Through the ages we've done that because He is a Father. He is not as it were a Father. He is the Father. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, addressed God as Father. You know that. At that time, Jesus said, this is Matthew 11, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. Mark 14, and he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And in Luke 11, we read, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Luke 23, but Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. John 11, so they removed the stone, and then Jesus raised his eyes and he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. John 12, now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. John 17, I mean all of John 17 is, is Jesus talking in prayer to his Father, right? Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. And we could go through almost every verse of that where he's addressing God as his Father. And so these are all examples of Jesus addressing the Father. And do not even touch the multitude of examples in the Scriptures, both Old and New Testament, in which, which we, would, we, would see, um, we would see God designated as the Father. We would read of the prophets speaking of the Father. We address God as Father because He reveals Himself as the Father and our Father. Remember Jesus said to Mary Magdalene, 
Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to your brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. And so back in 1 Peter, here's the Apostle Peter saying, if you address God as Father, why would we do that other than that Jesus gave us an example of doing this? Why would we do that other than the example we have? Well, fatherhood is authority. That's what fatherhood is. Fatherhood is authority. Authority to govern, authority to protect, authority to love those given to us by God. Right? And think of it this way, God is the Father that means that the whole universe, everything visible and invisible, is the realm wherein he fathers his authority. Right? It's the realm wherein he, he, is, he is very evidently exercising his authority. Whereas we may be fathers in our workplace, in our home, in our church, or in our culture, God is father of the universe. All authority is from God, and that authority is a function of His fatherhood more than it is anything else. In fact, we can, we can even go, stick with me here, we can even go back before creation into the very fabric of the Trinity. The Father has always had His exact representation in His Son, and the eternal begotten Son of God, as the Athanasian Creed teaches, is God from the essence of the Father begotten before time. Co-eternal, co-equal, and yet the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. They're distinct persons in covenantal relationship. And so, so fatherhood, which existed before creation governs the Trinity. And if governs is too strong a word, maybe it's just we say it orders the Trinity. Right? Fatherhood has something to do with the eternal order of the Trinity. And so, th this is, this is um, fatherhood is fundamental, and, and in, in no way am I trying to diminish motherhood, but that's what people come away from sermons like this telling me, right? When you talk about father, what about mothers? Well, I'm talking about God the Father right now, okay? Fatherhood. Fatherhood is at the core of the Trinity, and there is no it should be no surprise to us, therefore, that fatherhood is imprinted over all of his creation. And yet, and yet, some of you find it hard to address God as father. Right? This starts off, if you address as father the one who impartially judges, right? Some of you have a hard time speaking of God, speaking to God as your father. You've had fathers in this life who did nothing to defend, govern, and cherish you. And in fact, it wasn't that they didn't just do those things, it's that they did the opposite. They hurt you. 
they punished you without love. They governed as a totalitarian. You've had fathers who were simply not present in your life. You And so uh, working from, from earth to heaven, you think that it is an insult really to address God as Father. That, dear brothers and sisters, is getting things backwards. It, that's like calling, that's like calling the, the picture on your phone of the Mona Lisa that you took when you were there at the Louvre looking at that tiny little underwhelming painting. Um, that that's the Mona Lisa, Right? No, the original hangs in the Louvre, it's in Paris, and it's the only Mona Lisa. It's the only one that has substance. It has oil on canvas in a frame, right? Your simulation on your phone does not have that kind of substance. The Mona Lisa on your phone is a weak representation of the original. So too, your father on earth was a weak representation of the father in heaven. But go to the source. Go to the source. Think of the source. Right? You have a father who loves you with an eternal love, not a temporal love. You have a father who will never leave you or forsake you. You have a father who is holy and will never sin against you. You have a father who is sovereign and shapes history for your own good. He shapes history. Everything that comes along, he as a father has said, this will be good for you. You have a father whose glory and beauty will hold your rapt attention for an eternity. You have a father who provides and has made provision for your, not just in this life, but for your eternal rest and eternal Sabbath. You have over you the authority of a father who never fails who never turns against you to harm you, who gives you the proper attention at the proper time, who loves you because, and this is mind-boggling, because He is love. And so it's the glory of the church that they address God as Father. It's the glory of the church. The world may denounce us for our patriarchal ways and the priestesses of this culture, may be hell-bent on suppressing God's truth. And, and the fathers we have may have failed us in significant ways, but, but let us never be ashamed of God the Father. It is in many ways our sharpest witness. It's our strongest condemnation of godlessness in this world to announce the fatherhood of God. It may also be the strongest way that we can entice people to believe in God. Everybody wants a good father. Everybody wants a good father. Lesbian, priestess, lovers of death want a good father. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. 
He will not give him a snake, a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I mean, that's glorious, isn't it? That the Father would be so generous, not just to to provide a meal, but that the Father would be so generous as to, to... birth somebody anew and put the Holy Spirit within them. That Holy Spirit that's co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father and God the Son who is one God. And so call out to your Father. Call out to your Father. Call out to Him. Right? Do not ever, no matter how bad your Father was, leave off calling out to God your Father. Change your minds to think of His fatherhood first. And, and, and also, forgive your fathers. Right? Fathers, fathers do screw up quite a bit. Fathers sin greatly. Fathers sin against their own children. Fathers neglect their children. Fathers refuse to discipline their children when even the kids are crying out for discipline, right? And so forgive them because you have a Father in heaven who has never failed you. Call out to your Father, dress God as your Father, and receive from Him the most wonderful blessings, the peace that surpasses understanding, and the joy Think of this, the joy of resting in an eternal, fatherly, authoritative, powerful love. Resting in that fatherhood of God. 